So today we continue in our series, Things Jesus Never Said. And the quippy little statement that we're going to look at together uh, this morning, I'm sure is probably something that you've heard, uh, probably has spoken, been spoken uh, over you and for you at some point in time when you were maybe going through some difficulty. And that little saying is, time heals all wounds. Time heals all wounds. Anybody ever heard that one before? Now, we know that that's not necessarily true, right? I want to, before we get into God's word this morning, just kind of look at that phrase for what it says in and of itself. First of all, uh, one of the things that's interesting about time is that time doesn't do anything. This is the problem with the statement that time heals all wounds. The reality is time doesn't do anything, right? Time's not a thing. Time is not an active agent in producing anything when it comes to our healing. I know it might look like time provides for healing, but the reality is that what time is, is time is this thing that makes an allowance for a process to happen. That's really what time is. Time is essentially the space or the vehicle through which a process of healing can take place. I mean, think about how healing works in our bodies. You get a wound, and I know that over the process of time, that wound heals, but it's not time that's healing the wound, right? It's time that's allowing for the process of healing to take place. Maybe it's a somewhat superficial wound, right? And you've gone and you've cleaned it up and bandaged it if it needs be, but your body is essentially what comes to the rescue in providing healing for that wound, right? There's chemical reactions that take place, and your body is set up to heal itself. Or perhaps the wound is deeper than what can uh, be taken care of on its own, and so you have to go to the doctor or go to the hospital. And there they do a deeper cleaning, maybe some stitching and some deeper bandaging. But ultimately, time is the vehicle through which the process of healing can take place. And the reality is that with all the wounds that we experience in our lives, whether physically or emotionally or otherwise, time is just that. It is not the active agent that's providing for our healing. It's just the space in which that healing can take place. Then we say time heals all wounds. That's interesting, right? Because the reality is when somebody says that to us, When they use the phrase, heals all, we think, well, you don't understand the wound that I'm experiencing or the wound that's been inflicted in my life, right? When people say it heals all wounds, we think, well, time can have a way of perhaps allowing for certain wounds to be healed, but not necessarily this wound, right? Because healing has a range of outcomes, doesn't it? Again, think about your bodies, and the kinds of healings that you experience in your body. There's the healing where an injury is wholly forgotten. Uh, You've suffered the injury, you've gotten over it, and ultimately your life goes on, and there's nothing that that injury has done that is preventing you from doing anything further. A handful of weeks ago, my daughter Mariah had a snowboarding accident. She broke her wrist in three places, and she had to go to the emergency room and then a consultation with a surgeon and ultimately a surgery where they repair the wrist and put a cast on. And this week, hopefully the cast finally comes off. 
So what she has experienced is the kind of injury that was what we would call a bump in the road. Uh, interestingly, she had just finished her waitress training at a restaurant that she had been hostessing at. Uh, she's working really hard while she's kind of going through college. And uh, she's really looking forward to waitressing. And shortly after, she finally got the seal of approval and was ready with her shifts scheduled to waitress. She broke her wrist. How many of you know you can't waitress very well without two working arms? Right? So that put a damper on things. Uh, not only that, she actually couldn't work even as a hostess because she broke her right arm, the arm that she writes with. And so now she can't write down orders. She can't do her job. And so she loses all these shifts over the last six weeks. That is a bump in the road, but it's ultimately an injury that will prove itself eventually wholly forgotten. How many of you know that there are the kinds of injuries from which we heal, but that leave a limp? You know what I mean? The kind of injury that, well, um, I broke something or I did something or I pulled something and it's essentially healed, but it has or occasionally proves debilitating. I carry it with me even in this present moment. There's nothing further that can be done with it. I just simply have the limp. Uh, sometimes we have injuries that leave us with periodic or perhaps even chronic pain. We would say we have largely been healed of that wound, but the wound carries on something into even our present day. So healing has a range of emotions. So sometimes it's insensitive to say to a person, listen, time heals all wounds because the reality is that time doesn't heal all wounds. There are some wounds from which we don't ever seem in this life to get full and complete healing from. And then finally, we use the word wounds to describe these things that happen to us. And let's be real, the expression was not invented to comfort somebody who bumped their head or scraped their knee or broke their arm. When we invented this phrase, time heals all wounds, we did it with the intention of talking about the kinds of wounds that are internal, wounds that are deeper than those superficial wounds we experience on the outer parts of our bodies. These are wounds that perhaps don't even heal even after a long time. Wounds that maybe we have after years of being separated from that thing that wounded us, still, even now, every once in a while, we recall and we even feel the pain associated with that woundedness. Wounds are real. And so today I want to ask the question, where can healing come from? Where can healing be found for our wounds, for these things that happen to us? And the first thing I want to do is address the wounds that we suffer from one another, right? Because there are a variety of wounds that we experience in this life, the first one I want to look at is the wound that we suffer from each other, especially the wounds that we experience in the context of relationships where reconciliation makes sense or where reconciliation is desired. How many of you have had that experience in a relationship, right, that has been severed, that has been broken, that has been disrupted from some wound? 
but you didn't just throw away the relationship. You didn't just walk away and throw your hands up and give up. Why? Because that relationship was precious. And it was worth going through the process of reconciliation so that you could be restored back to the former state of what that relationship once was. You see, we live with and among and around one another. And we are uh, broken people. And as broken people, we do broken things to one another. We hurt each other. We offend each other. We sin against each other, as we're going to find Jesus talks about here in Matthew 16. So how do we deal with the wounds that we experience from one another? Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18, rather. Matthew 18, we're going to read verses 15 to 17, because here Jesus actually provides a prescription for how we deal with our woundedness. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you. Now, interestingly, Jesus comes right out. He doesn't sugarcoat what we're talking about here. He doesn't say when uh, a friend insults you or when a person who has talked uh, badly about you behind your back or when a person has taken something from you or when a person has hurt you. He says, when a person, when a brother sins against you, this is what Jesus tells us to do. Go and tell him his fault. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Between you and him alone. That's what Jesus' prescription is for us to seek reconciliation with each other. When somebody sins against you, you go to that person alone. And, and you tell the person his fault. If he listens to you, Jesus says, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, so Jesus proceeds on to, like, well, listen, sometimes it doesn't work, right? You ever tried to make reconciliation with another person and it didn't work? It didn't take. And Jesus says, you proceed on to this next step. And that is that if he does not listen to you, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So now Jesus instructs us to take you know, two or three people uh, who have a vested interest in this relationship. Uh, not your best friends who also hate that other person, <laughs> right, who's offended you, right? That's what we want to do, right? Like, well, I know who I'm taking with me for this conversation. Now, uh, two or three people who have a vested interest in the reconciliation of that relationship as much as you and that other person do. Take them with you and in grace and in love, have this conversation. Again, hopefully the outcome is positive and reconciliation can be made. But Jesus goes on. If he refuses to listen to them, well, then you call the church and you leave a voicemail for Sharon. And she will, be make, she will make sure that it gets to the right people, right? No. If he refuses to listen to them, you tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. That is, you can essentially disregard this relationship and just understand that its current state is one of brokenness. Like sometimes our relationships are just that. 
A wound is created. Reconciliation is sought, but not accomplished. Jesus says, treat that person as you would a Gentile and a tax collector. Now, Jesus, of course, is talking about the context of like what we find ourselves in. Let's say, you know, those of you that consider yourselves a part of, you know, this community of faith. We are just that. We regard one another as brothers and sisters. And that's why Jesus uses the language here. Because there is a familial relationship that we have with each other if we are part of God's family, whether you like it or not. Hey, let's be real. You have some blood relatives you don't like all that much. You might have some relatives in the church you don't like all that much as well. But you still got to love them, right? So this is how we deal with relationships in the context of such relationships as can be restored and reconciled. Now Jesus points out, I think here, that there are steps to this reconciliation process. First, he says, go and tell him or her his fault. Now, wait a minute. Do you mean I am not supposed to get on my computer and log into Facebook and cryptically describe something that has or has not transpired in my life that doesn't name any names, but let's be honest, my dearest and closest friends know exactly what and who I'm talking about. Do you mean that's not what step one is? To tell the world how I have been hurt, how I have been offended? And yet that's exactly what we often do, isn't it? Why? Because we know that there are people on the other side of computer screens and iPhones who will like, who will comment, who will come and take up our cause, who will come and assemble themselves behind how we have become a victim in this thing, and they will group together with us to hate this other person, right? And it gives us a kind of energy that we enjoy. But Jesus says, don't do that. He doesn't say, don't do that, not because he didn't have Facebook. I know that's what you're thinking. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. Jesus didn't have a Facebook profile. First, go and tell him his fault. Jesus says, do it alone, privately, discreetly. We don't do that, right? What we do is we, uh, we, we get back into the office and we talk into the air. General things that we hope other people will pick up on. That they will catch the energy. That they will understand how we have been hurt. Jesus says, go and tell him his fault alone. Notice that the duty of this first step falls on the person who has been hurt. Isn't that interesting? Um, have you ever hurt somebody and know that you hurt somebody? Hopefully, when you hurt somebody and you know that you've hurt that person, hopefully, you take the initiative to go and make it right. Hopefully. Hopefully. Have you ever hurt somebody and didn't even know that you hurt somebody? 
And all of a sudden, this relationship is broken, right? Things have gone awry. You're not even sure why. Well, it's because you've created an offense, because you've sinned against, you've hurt another person, maybe where you didn't even know it. Jesus puts the obligation for reconciliation, the first step of obligation, on the injured party. That's interesting. And you know what else it is, is it's difficult. It's hard. How many of you know it's hard to go to a person who's hurt you and tell the person that they've hurt you? That's why we don't do it. That's why we tell everybody else on the margins, on the sidelines of the episode. That's why we type it in, right? That's why we change our status on Facebook. Yes, I know what that is. <laughs> Those of you that know how little I know about Facebook. You know, feeling disappointed. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? <laughs> Jesus says, if you go to him and he repents, you have gained your brother. And as far as Jesus is concerned, the matter is over. And that's important. Then Jesus goes on and describes the process through which we continue to seek reconciliation if that first step doesn't work. Well, a few verses later, Peter comes to Jesus in verse 21 and 22. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Now, Peter's coming from a place where it was commonly understood through rabbinic teaching and influence that a good, upstanding, godly Jewish man or woman was responsible for providing such grace to an offending person that three times, if for three times a person in a premeditated fashion sinned against you, you had to forgive them. After three times were up, like this is how baseball was invented. <laughs> right? Three strikes, you're out. And as far as the culture of Peter's day was concerned, that was sufficient. Listen, you have given that person enough opportunities. No more. No more. Well, Jesus here talking about forgiveness, Peter's mind goes back maybe to some other sermon that Jesus had taught, some other conversation that Jesus had about forgiveness, because believe it or not, we find all kinds of instruction about forgiveness in the Gospels. And elsewhere, Jesus actually comes out and says, if your brother has sinned against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day repents of that sin, you must forgive him. And so Peter's like thinking about that. And so he says to Jesus, whoa, whoa, whoa. Um, and thinking all, like Peter's proud of himself because he remembers. Lord, how often? Seven times, right? That's what he said, seven times. And Jesus responds to him, Peter, you missed the point. When I said seven times, you missed it. I say to you not seven times, but 77 times. 
miles. Or some of your translations might interpret what Jesus said as 70 times 7. It makes no difference whether it's 77 or 490 times the point is the same. And that is that the forgiveness that we are supposed to extend to one another is limitless. Now, I wonder, why is Peter asking this question? Why is he asking this question in the first place? I mean, do you really think that Peter has come across the kind of situation where a person has committed some premeditated sin against him seven times in a day? You know, maybe he's up to six. Right? He's thinking about James. Sorry if anybody's name is James. He's thinking about James, right? He's been a knucklehead recently. He's up to six. Am I almost at the end? Am I almost ready to kind of get over that line where I don't have to forgive anyone? Why is Peter asking? Well, I, I think it's because Peter is much like we are when it comes to forgiveness. Listen, there are, I think, one of three things that we can do when it comes to uh, wounds inflicted upon us and the forgiveness that we are required to demonstrate when we're wounded. We have three choices. It's probably more, but three for the purposes of what we're talking about today. The first one is we can forgive. That's the first choice we can make. The second one is we can hold a grudge. How many of you know that holding a grudge feels a lot better than forgiving? For a little while anyway. Right? We can hold a grudge. We can brood over the thing. We can keep it inside. We can do the opposite of what Jesus said, which is go to your brother. We can just keep it inside. Or thirdly, we can use that sin, we can use that offense to our own advantage. Have you ever, in a relationship with another person, been hurt by that person and taken the opportunity to use that to your advantage? And I want everybody to go like this. Right, because this is just a moment of honesty. Yes, Josh, as a matter of fact, I have done that. We have all done it. All of you who are married or in a significant relationship with another person, you do it all the time. Right? Because when somebody has hurt us, it actually, although we understand there is a victimization that occurs in that place, that victimization can also be placed and turned upside down to a place of power, right? Uh, when you have hurt somebody you love, what do you do? You do everything you can, right? To make it up to that person. You do every, if you really love that person, when you have hurt someone else, you do everything you can. Wow, it's washing all the dishes. Wow, they're finally throwing their clothes in the hamper, not just on the floor. Is, do I hear the vacuum? Like what is, what is going on here? Right, because you understand, like when you're indebted to somebody, right? When you have hurt somebody, when you've, when you've created that offense, like you are in this, you are in this, this, this place where now you are 
you're in arrears to that person. You are indebted to that person. And so we feel like we have to do everything we can to make up for that offense. Well, guess what the person who's been offended can do if they so choose? Well, they can use it, right? It's like, you know what? I think this cold shoulder treatment is working pretty well. And so I'm just going to, I'm just going to keep this thing going for a little while. Because I like sitting back and relaxing while the other person's doing all the work. While they're doing everything to get back into my good graces. Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not allowed. And in fact, that's about the worst approach we can have to this. Because what that is, it's, it's forgiveness that has been clothed and disguised, right? Or, or it, is, it is manipulation, I should say, that has been clothed or disguised as forgiveness. We can't do that. What we must do is forgive. That person, when we have forgiven them, they aren't in debt to us. Right? Because the debt has been canceled. That's what forgiveness is all about. And so I ask you, does, in that experience, have you experienced how the balance of power swings in your favor? That might be a sign not of a reluctant forgiveness or not of a tempered forgiveness that's letting the other person make right what they have first made wrong. What it's actually doing is manipulating the other person. And that's not forgiveness at all. If you find yourself playing the victim card, be careful, be careful. And I mean this as sensitively as possible, but be careful that it's not a sign of actual unforgiveness in your heart. Notice how generous the forgiveness is, right? Jesus says, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. The reality is that forgiveness is a generous, it is a benevolent move on the part of the person who has been offended or hurt. Much like how God has done that for us. The forgiveness that we sing about, that we praise God for, is a generous forgiveness. And we are supposed to practice that same generosity toward one another. Now we could ask, well, how important is forgiveness? Is it a big deal or is it not a big deal? Oh, it's a big deal. Jesus goes on to tell this parable about a king who had a servant who owed him uh, 50 lifetimes worth of income. Right, was indebted to him, and he's going to throw him into prison, as was his right. And he came, and he fell down at the feet of the king, and he begged him and pleaded with him. He said, don't throw me in the jail. I'll do everything I can. I'll work the rest of my life to pay you back. Just give me another chance. And the king, instead of allowing him to go under those terms, he instead says, I forgive your entire debt. You don't owe me another penny. And Jesus says that same servant went out, and he came across, you know, some old associate. You know, who owed him a, a handful of bucks and, and, and said to him, hey, give me that money you owe me. And that person who himself had fallen on tremendously hard times was unable to pay back the debt. And so the first servant had the second servant thrown into a debtor's prison. Word gets back to the king about how the servant who experienced such a lavish amount of grace and forgiveness, how he treated another person for a relatively tiny, tiny, tiny amount of indebtedness. And he calls him back and he recalls the debt. And Jesus says in Matthew, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You know, forgiveness seems to be like one of 
kind of the one thing that you see in the Gospels that feels somewhat conditional. We talk about the Gospel and God's free gift of grace and forgiveness extended to all, and yet we find again and again through the words of Jesus himself this little caveat that seems to occur in the conversation about forgiveness. If you do not forgive your brother, your heavenly Father will also not forgive you, is what Jesus says. And I think that's because he understands that when our accounts are out of balance with one another, our account is out of balance with God as well. Do you realize how much our horizontal relationships with each other actually affect our vertical relationship with God. And that's why elsewhere in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says in Matthew 6, verses 14 and 15, if it's not clear enough, he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Time doesn't heal all wounds. In many cases, the wounds that we experience in our lives on account of one another, what heals those wounds is forgiveness. And believe it or not, forgiveness also extends even beyond our relationships with one another to a place where reconciliation isn't even possible. Maybe you've experienced a wound in your life and the wound that was created came from another person through whom reconciliation is not really desired or possible or even wise. You wouldn't say to a person who is a victim of some heinous crime, hey, um, now that you've kind of gotten over it, you need to go and resolve your relationship with that offender. We would never say that to another person, right? Right? We wouldn't do that. Right? There are some, there are some contexts in which the wounds that we experience, there is no reconciliation to seek with another person. Listen, there, there, sometimes people do that. There are stories of what one human being has forgiven another human being of. Some atrocity that you can't even begin to imagine that makes the worst thing that ever happened to you in your life look like nothing. Right? There are stories of people acting in that kind of forgiveness. And that is beautiful. And that is the power of God. But the reality is, kind of for our common experience, there are some, there are some contexts in which like, we're not seeking restitution for the relationship because there's no relationship. It's not reconciliation that we're looking for. And so what is it that we need in those moments? Well, what we need where reconciliation can't occur is we still need forgiveness. We still have to be forgiving. Jesus did not permit us when he gave us that process and said, listen, you can regard that other person as a Gentile, right? As a, 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 a outside of the family of the Jews or as a tax collector, as some, you know, heathen. But he didn't say that you can still harbor unforgiveness in your heart. No, that forgiveness still has to be extended. You have to forgive even in the place where the other person can't be forgiven. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 
verse 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Don't hold unforgiveness in your heart toward those who have hurt you and have gone away and are not really even part of your life anymore. Don't harbor that unforgiveness, but actually speak forth in the presence of your father, forgiveness for that person. And then Jesus, because he's a crazy guy sometimes, says, don't just pray or don't just love them, but pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for those who wound you. Again, we're not talking about easy stuff here, but that's what Jesus requires of us. And what I understand from that, because I know that when we extend that kind of forgiveness, it doesn't, it doesn't come from here, right? That kind of forgiveness doesn't come from the heart initially. The kind of forgiveness I think that Jesus is talking about is the kind of forgiveness maybe that starts up here or down here, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a desire of the will to forgive that person. Have you ever done something that you don't want to do, but you did it anyway? Right? You didn't do it from here, because right? you didn't want to. You did it from here. You did it as a, it, it, was, it, was a, it was a desire of the will. It was a decision of the mind. Right? You said, my heart's not necessarily in it right this moment. But what God requires of me is that I forgive the person who has offended me in response to how God has forgiven me. And when you do that, when you let forgiveness be a decision of your mind, eventually your heart might be given the time that it needs to catch up. So that we can wholly and completely forgive that person, even as Jesus describes it, from our heart. So if you have unforgiveness toward another person and it's just not in you right now to forgive them, forgive them. It's a matter of the will. It's a matter of obedience. It's a matter of recognizing that no matter how badly that person has offended me, because of the grace and the forgiveness for which I have been forgiven. See, I'm the first servant in the parable that Jesus talked about with the king and the servant who owed 50 lifetimes worth of debt. I'm that person. And whatever that other person has done to me is small in comparison, and so I am required to forgive. So that's all about the wounds that we experience on account of one another. Some through which we have relationships we want to reconcile, others that we don't. But what about the wounds not caused by other people? What about the wounds that we experience in life where there's no one to forgive because there's no one to blame? Anybody got some of those? Those are the kinds of wounds for which it seems no one is particularly responsible. And yet I have gone through this thing. I have suffered this loss. I am grieving and mourning this loss in my life. There's nobody to blame. It's just, it just is. What do I do about those wounds? I think it's absolutely essential in those moments to understand 
what and who God wants to be in our lives. The psalmist says in Psalm 147, verse 3, He, that is God, heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. This word brokenhearted has the connotation of a heart that's been dashed to pieces, a heart that has exploded. If you've experienced some particular thing in your life for which your heart has been shattered into pieces and left in the dust and you feel like there's nothing left to work with, it is there that you must find in God one who binds up the wounds and who heals the brokenhearted. Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 61 verse 1, and Jesus actually quoted this in reference to himself. This is a messianic prophecy speaking of part of why Jesus came into this world. He said, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And he has sent me to bind up the broken hearted. That is the function that Jesus accomplishes as our Savior, as our Lord, as one who, as the Bible describes him, sticks closer than a brother. One that who never leaves us or forsakes us. And if you don't know him in that way, I want to encourage you to take steps forward to come to know him in that way. Because he can't do the job of binding up the wounds and healing the brokenhearted if you haven't come before him and engaged him in that process. We have the decision that we can make to either let our woundedness remain or we can come to Jesus who desires to heal our broken hearts, to heal those deepest wounds. So how can I do that? Well, with those circumstances in mind that we sometimes face from time to time, grieving and mourning the loss of a loved one, perhaps, the tragedy of losing a job, the massive disappointment that comes with some bad news that we were given, that dashes our hopes in some particular area of our lives, we have to ask ourselves, well, how can my approach to my circumstances change. And I want to encourage you in a few different ways. First of all, when you find yourself dealing with those kinds of wounds, realize it is okay to ask why. It is okay to come into the presence of your heavenly father and demand to know why. And to ask again and again, God, why did this happen? Or why is this happening to me? Or why is this taking place the way it has? I will tell you, you might not always get the answers and you might not always get a full understanding of the why. But sometimes it's very therapeutic to just know that we can go to God and we can ask him why. However, it's not okay to just give up. A lot of times that's what we want to do with our woundedness is just give up. We let the grief and the mourn, mourning actually overtake us and conquer us. And keeps us from being able to proceed and to move forward. But I want to encourage you when you experience that woundedness, don't give up. Don't give up. Grieve, right? Mourn the loss of something. But 
At the same time, look for those little opportunities to move forward. I know that's hard. I know it probably sounds a little insensitive. But that's how we have to deal with the wounds that we experience in life. Go to God and ask why. Don't give up. Grieve, grieve and mourn, but look for opportunities to move forward. And finally, pray and memorize God's word. Memorize scriptures like Psalm where he heals the broken, brokenhearted and binds their wounds. Memorize, there's, the Bible's full of encouragement that comes for those of us who have experienced such woundedness in our lives. And finally, if I can close with this, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, something that might sound like is kind of irrelevant for what we're talking about today, but just bear with me. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor what you will put on. And then he asks this question. This is the question I want us to think about as we close this morning. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now we read this and we understand it's a lesson about not being anxious about the simple things of life. Our basic needs, our basic necessities. Jesus says, don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what you're going to wear. Right? Like people in the world, that's what they worry about. That's what they fret about. And then he turns it and asks this question. He says, is not life more than food and your body more than clothing? And a lot of times, a verse like that doesn't really stick with us because, let's be real, I'll bet that most of us here in the room today, we're not worried about what we're going to eat. We're not worried about what we're going to drink. We're not worried about whether or not we have clothes to wear. Right? Our basic needs are largely taken care of. And so what could that possibly mean to us? I think it's, if Jesus could, even in the midst of our woundedness, I believe Jesus would come alongside us, again, as one who's close to us, as one who wants to bear up and hold our burdens with us and walk through that valley with us. I believe Jesus would come alongside and he would whisper softly, tenderly, gently into our ear, hey, isn't life more than whatever this thing is that you're going through? that's consuming you? Isn't your life more than this piece of unforgiveness that you're harboring in your heart? Isn't life more than the resentment that you continue to hold against that person that, let's be honest, is really kind of debilitating you and robbing you of the joy that you would otherwise experience if you could just let it go? Isn't your life more than that? I know how disappointed you are. Right? That senior who was written off to the college that they dreamed of going to all of their lives, waiting by the mailbox day after day, hoping, waiting, expecting for that acceptance letter to come in. But when the letter comes, instead they open it and it says, I regret to inform you. And they're crushed. And the way they saw their life going all of a sudden 
It's not going that way anymore. I believe Jesus, even in that, could say to us, isn't your life more than the college of your dreams? Isn't your life even more than that relationship? Isn't life more than the job that you are mourning? Isn't life more than your desire for success that seems to be so elusive? And of course, Jesus wraps that all up with, and we'd be wise to be mindful of, seek first God's kingdom, and all these things shall be added unto you. Would you stand with me this morning? We're going to close out with this song, a song I bet most of you know, the Revelation song. One of the things I love about it is just like this reference to the revelation, which a lot of times we think about the apocalypse and the judgment of God being poured out on the entire world. But you know what the revelation is supposed to speak to those that are part of the family of God? It is to make us mindful that our life is more than just what is happening in the here and now. And so as we sing this, I pray that your hearts would be inspired to worship a God that is bigger than the circumstances that you're currently facing. Bigger than the mountains you want to see moved. Greater than the valleys that you feel like that you're walking through. We take our wounds and where we can, we forgive. And in those places where there's no one to forgive, we hold on to God. And we find in him the healer that we so desperately need. Let's pray together. Father, Lord, as we close out this morning, I just pray, would you help us to just lay our woundedness before you this morning? If there's some particular thing that immediately comes to mind for anyone in this place, help them to do as Jesus has instructed us. And that is that when we pray, if while we're praying to our Father, we become reminded of some unforgiveness in our heart toward another person. Let us first forgive before moving on. And so, Lord, in those areas of our lives where we need to extend forgiveness to one another, help us to forgive, not once, not even three times, but 77 times. Let our forgiveness be described as generous, abundant, and limitless. And Lord, I pray especially for those maybe today or that are just feeling the grief and the loss of some particular thing that they've experienced in this life. Or maybe years down the road when we experience such a thing, may their minds, may their hearts come back to this conversation we've had together. And I pray in those moments that they would find in you the healer that they need for their brokenheartedness. I thank you and praise you for how you work in our hearts and our lives. Help us and our attention to be driven to you and to nothing else, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.